0: We had some technical issues with our IT on Sunday, so for those that weren't able to make it and are still interested, uh, this is the uh, the follow up recording. So you can hear our sermon from John chapter five. From John chapter five, uh, so that's where we're going to be here as we go through John chapter five and verse sixteen to twenty four. Uh, you can. Grab your Bible at home if you've got it to just listen to it. The question we're asking today is, who is Jesus really? It's a question many people have, it's a question a lot of people ask, and 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 many people cannot answer that question, who is Jesus? It's been tried, many people have tried over the the years and the decades, and including just recently, there's a documentary available that uh, I think Morgan Freeman uh, is part of, called The Story of God, which tries to answer that question, who is Jesus? From time to time, even in the world, we have had people claim that they are Jesus. And here in Australia, we have had uh, our very own Jesus in Queensland, uh, several years ago, and uh, but we have seen people like that all over the world, people who think they are Jesus. In fact, there is a, a story in a, in a book, a true story in a book I read, uh, which I believe is going to be turned into a, uh, a movie very shortly, about an experiment that a, uh, a psychologist did in uh, 1964, there, thereabouts, in those years that followed. Uh, the story and the movie, I think it's called The, the three, uh, three Christs of Ypsilanti, Michigan. Uh, there, a, uh, a psychologist, or I guess a psychologist had three patients. These three patients all thought that they were Jesus, believed themselves to be Jesus Christ. Their real names, as I understand it, were Leon, Joseph, and Clyde. Leon, Joseph, and Clyde, they uh, they tried an experiment. The psychologist and some of his helpers tried an experiment. So for two years, they had these three men do everything together in the attempt that uh, if they were together constantly, then it would break them out of that delusion that they were Jesus because they would see somebody else saying they were Jesus, and that was the, the hope. Uh, as it turns out, the experiment failed and uh, didn't accomplish what they hoped it would. But in uh, the book I read, there's a a record of one of the sessions that they were involved in. And in uh, that session, one of the men says, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I am on a mission. I was sent to save the earth. The psychologist asked him, how do you know that? To which this man replied, God told me. Very quickly, one of the others shot out, I told you no such thing. Uh, Interesting things in there. Who is Jesus? That's what we're out to discover here. It's what one of Jesus' closest followers wants us to know. So as we've been studying through the Gospel of John, the, this, this man John, who is part of Jesus' closest companions, writes this for us because he wants us to know that very truth, as he's expressed it, even in this book, that he wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here, as we come to our text this morning, this is what we find out. Who is This Jesus, we're going to read from John chapter five, and begin in verse sixteen, kind of overlapping where we were previously, reading through verse twenty-four. Says, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day, remembering, of course, that that's the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda just before that. But Jesus answered them. My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus, and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that he himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son." that all men should honour the Son, even as they honour the Father. He that honoureth not the Son honoureth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. For this opportunity to look into your word, to hear its truth and have our eyes brought to see who you really are. We pray that as your word comes to our ears, wherever we may be and whenever that may be, that the truth would shine through. We would be challenged. We would be encouraged for those that need it, dear God, that they would be drawn to see you as Jesus, the Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here in these verses, Jesus tells us who he is. And unlike the three men we saw in that little experiment who were delusional about their understanding of Jesus, Jesus is not delusional when he says that he is the Christ, the Son of God. He has shown proofs that that is true. Just before this, as he heals this man on the Sabbath, he has proven the claims that he has made. These are not just empty words. So that makes this passage we have read here and we're coming to a very important passage. As we think back in where it fits here, the incident that has happened at the Pool of Bethesda just before that has fired up the religious leaders and the Jews of the day, and so much so that, as we saw in verse 16, that this event, healing on the Sabbath, has caused them to to want to persecute Jesus and even to seek to to kill him. But rather than, than just let that go having fueled these fires with the Jews, Jesus makes it even worse. And so, in verse 17, he says, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. And as if they weren't angry enough, in saying those words, verse 18 says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. So, now they're not just angry with him and want to, to kill him, they are filled with rage towards Jesus because of what he has said and who he is claiming to be. Verse 17, there is his, is his open declaration of deity. Jesus is claiming to be God, and the Jews knew exactly what that meant. They knew he was claiming to be God. He says in verse 17, God doesn't stop working, so I don't stop working. Jesus, the Jews understood what Jesus was saying there. And it upsets them for many reasons, but perhaps mostly it upsets them because it is usurping their authority. If that is true, then Jesus has full authority here. And all the, the power uh, that they have in their perceived authority that they have over people is, is nothing. And they must submit to him, and that is not what they want. So just like John has been doing all along through his gospel, every point of the gospel, he is bringing us to a place to make a decision. We must either choose to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, or he is not who he says he is. And that's exactly where Jesus is bringing these people here. They must accept or reject who Jesus is. Is he the son of God? Do they believe that to be true or are they going to reject that? How do I react to the claims of Jesus in my life? We think we have control. We think we have authority in our lives. Then Jesus tells us here that he has ultimate authority. He is the son of God. So how do I react to that? What does it mean for my life? Either I'm going to believe he is Lord or not. That's the choice that I have. That's an important choice even as a believer, not just as an unbeliever, but that I understand that he is Lord. If I have chosen to believe him and follow him, it doesn't make him Lord just at my salvation, but it makes him Lord of my life forever. If you don't believe Jesus, if you're an unbeliever and haven't taken Jesus as your savior, if what Jesus says is true, if he is the son of God, then we are left with no real option but to submit. To reject him is, is, is to choose destruction. So why can Jesus make this claim? Why can Jesus claim to be the Son of God? Why can he claim to be God? And why should I even listen to his claims? That is our thoughts for this morning. And I have four reasons that I look through here that Jesus gives us about why we should listen to him, why we should take his claim seriously. The first of those uh, reasons or those claims that Jesus makes is that he has the authority to do the works of God. The authority to do the works of God. Verse 19 says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. Jesus has the authority to do the works of God. One of the things we see firstly there in verse 19 is that Jesus is obedient to the Father's will. So when Jesus makes his statements and, and he claims that he can he can Heal on the Sabbath, and that He is Lord of the Sabbath, because He is God. When He makes those claims, the Jews make an assumption based on what He says that He is indeed claiming to be God. And Jesus doesn't try to to skirt around that or nuance that at all, so that they might not misunderstand. And they say, "Well, are you saying you're God?" He you said, "Well, I'm not saying that outright. And I'm, I'm yeah, I'm God or the Son of God. And as much as we're all the Son." of God. He, is, he's, he doesn't dance around the issue like that. He pushes it further. So they make the assumption based on what he says, that he is claiming to be the Son of God. And Jesus says, your assumptions are correct. And I'm going to push that even further. And he does so more forcefully, more pertinently. In an act of divine submission, Jesus, the Son of God, is fulfilling the will of the Father. As far as the Jews were concerned and the Jews thought, they thought of God as one. So there is one God. There is nobody else that could claim to be God. And here Jesus is saying that I am God. And Jesus is telling us that he isn't acting independently of the Father, but rather that he is acting in unity With the Father. So he's not claiming to be the Father, but he is claiming to be equal to the Father. He is claiming deity. He is claiming to be God. He has the authority because he is doing the work of the Father. That is, Jesus has the authority to do the work of God. Why? Why can Jesus have the authority to do the work of God? How is that, that possible? Why? Because God has commissioned him to do that work and he is God. That's what's happening here. That's what Jesus is professing. That's what Jesus is claiming. He has the authority to do the works of the Father because he is God and has been given responsibility by God, Jesus here is claiming to do something that the Jews are not doing. Jesus is saying, I am doing the will of God. They clearly were not. They were serving their own purposes, their own desires, their own satisfactions. Jesus is telling them he wasn't pursuing his own agenda. He was serving the will of God the Father. But not only does this mean that, or show us that he is obedient to the will of the Father, but in the context of that relationship with the Father, he tells us also there in verse 20 that he is the object of the Father's love. So Jesus isn't claiming to do the work of the Father. He isn't claiming to do the work of God as a servant or as a slave in some subordinate manner. He is claiming here that there is a deep unity of relationship between the Father and himself, the Son. An eternal relationship of love. A relationship that is is complete in its trust and its openness. This is why in verse 17, when Jesus is responding to them about his, his claims and what he's done on the Sabbath, he doesn't say, our father worketh hitherto. He's very uh, specific here and says, my father works now and I work. He's claiming a very important, a very close relationship, a very unique relationship with the father. Jesus' obedience isn't based on submission to power. His relationship is based in love, an eternal relationship of love. Jesus has the authority to do God's work because he has a special and unique relationship with the Father, one that no one else has. So why listen to Jesus because he's the only one God sees as worthy. He's the only one that God trusts to do his work. It says, you know, at the end of verse 20 there, it says, if, if you think healing that lame man was, was great, and that was amazing, just, just wait and see what else I can do. See what other amazing things are possible. And that's what else he is about to, to show us. So, who is Jesus and why should I listen to him? Well, one, he has the authority to do the works of God. Secondly, he has the authority to exercise sovereign power. Verse 21 of the text continues, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will, quickeneth or made alive. So here, Jesus tells us that he gives life only God can give life the healing of the lame man was just a, a small example of that and we saw that as we looked at the healed lame man it, it was an illustration of his his power over every part of life and and this sin and death that affects us in in every area spiritually emotionally and physically that was just a small example of what Jesus came to do in a much greater way Here he has the power to give life, and the power to give life is an absolute power. There is is no power greater than the ability to to give life, to bestow life. Giving of life is an exercise of of love. It is an exercise of of justice and, and wisdom. So why listen to Jesus? Because he holds life. We're, we're constantly trying to gain control of our life. I'm, I'm sadly at that age where I, I have there's vitamins and medication I have to take for people my age. and that's, uh, that's deeply saddening to me and, and troubling. So I take these vitamins to, to help me and, and why do we take these vitamins and why do we exercise and why do we look after our diet and, and do all these things? We do all these things because we're trying to take control of our life, to live longer, to live better, to uh, have a, a better quality of existence. And all of those things are, are great. It, it's it's good to be able to to live longer and have a better quality of this life and to take care of ourselves. All those things are great, but it's just about sustaining a temporal existence. I can't, I can't stop the progress of, of death in this world. I can't stem the, the effects that it has physically on me. We can do the, the best we can try, but we're just sustaining things temporally in this physical existence. But life is about, is about much more than that. Life isn't just about a physical existence. It's not just about what happens in this moment, in this lifetime. Life is about the spiritual. It's a spiritual thing. The Bible tells us that while we may be alive physically, we are dead spiritually. One of the great passages of Scripture which Teaches us or talks to us about this idea of of physical life and spiritual death is in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, using similar language and similar words to the Apostle John as he records Jesus, says, And you hath he quickened, again that word to make alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." What does Paul tell us here about our state and about the, the nature of, of life here? He tells us that we are by nature dead in our sins. Dead without, without life spiritually. We are rebellious toward God. We oppose God. We are disobedient to God. Our spiritual life in relation to God does not exist And in that state of of deadness, if you will, that rebelliousness and that disobedience to God, we are pursuing our own pleasure, our own desires, our own ambitions. Just like the Pharisees were in John chapter 5. We want to have authority in our own lives and take control and do what pleases us and what we want in our lives. And so we're told here in Ephesians 2 that that rebellion, that disobedience to God, puts us under the wrath of God, under his condemnation because of our rebellion, because of our disobedience. And so we live spiritually dead and destined for destruction. But Paul continues in these verses, in in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In Jesus, and notice how many times in those verses that Paul refers or references this life to Jesus Christ. It all hinges on Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God shows us immense love Mercy and grace are words that are used here. And he raises us up. He makes us alive. He quickens us and raises us up out of that death and out of sin and into eternal life. So instead of destruction, instead of condemnation, instead of being under the wrath of God, we find life and we find blessing and we find joy. Paul will say it in, in, in a different way, but the same truth to the church at Colossae. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, And you, being dead in your sins, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, against us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He gives life. But he tells us it's more than just about giving life, and, and that is, it is an ultimate power. But look what he says. He says there in verse 21, For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth, or makes alive, whom he will. He gives life to whom he wills. To his determination, the authority to sovereignly exercise that power of giving life. Who receives life is ultimately up to the Father and the Son. Many of us will be familiar with the great commission that Jesus gives before he leaves us in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 where he, he tells us to, to go into the world and to, to make disciples and teach the old nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But before he commissions us to go out and do that work he reminds us of a very important truth. In Matthew 28 verse 18 he says All power is given unto me. That me is not me. And it's not you, that me was Jesus. All power is given to him. And it's in his power that we as the people of God are to go out and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. You see, what Jesus is telling us here in verse 21 is not only does he have the power to give life, he has the authority to give life. Life. In John seventeen, that great high priestly prayer that he prays the night before and uh, the hours before he's going to be crucified, he says, praying to the Father, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. How does one receive this life? How do I get the life that Jesus has the authority and power to give? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. We'll look at that in more depth later, but how do I receive this believing Jesus? So why should I listen to Jesus? Because only he has the power and the authority to give life. He has the authority to do the works of God. He has the authority to exercise sovereign power. And thirdly, he has the authority to judge people. Verse 22 says, For the Father judgeth no man but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verse 22 tells us of a very important truth that comes with Jesus, who has the authority to do the work of God and the authority to, ex- to exercise sovereign power in giving life. It tells us that he is judge. That's part of the power that is given to Jesus, is his power as judge. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it said of Jesus, Because he, the Father, hath appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. That is God the Father has determined to judge the world based and in the authority of Jesus Christ. And he has proven that and given assurance that that is true because he raised Jesus from the dead. Now here in Jesus' first coming, which we see in the Gospel of of John there, when he came the first time, it is not his primary purpose to judge. That's not primarily why he came the first time to judge. It is, however, an inescapable result of rejecting Jesus in any season. No matter when or where we live, live, no matter what age that we live in or time, if we reject Jesus, we are inescapably put into a place of judgment, whether that's before Jesus comes, when Jesus was here, or even in these days now. How does he judge? Well, we cast our mind back to John chapter 3 and we're reminded that we're condemned simply because we have not believed. So those who have not believed in Jesus are condemned already. We're naturally condemned. But those who believe are saved from condemnation. You see, I can't escape Jesus No matter where I go, no matter what I try, I can't escape him. He is what everything in history turns on. Because he is all of these things, because he is doing the work of the Father, because he has the the power and authority to give life, and because he is the judge of all, he tells us in verse 23 that he is to be honored. Honored. Jesus is to be honored as... God. John, who wrote this, will say very similar things and and encourage us in the same thought many years later when he writes his letter of 1 John. And he says, Whoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Now, can you imagine... If you were one of these religious leaders, one of the Jews uh, who were standing there and hearing Jesus say these words in verse 23, that if you uh, honor the Son, you honor the Father, and if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. Um, imagine what they're, they're, they're feeling there. That would, would lead them to be seething with, with anger and, and hatred of this man. They have grown up and, and been taught and are teaching the very uh, things that they, they, they know from the Old Testament, that there is, is one God and they honor one God only. And this, this God who they worship and love does not share his glory with any. There's no one else that should be honored. And then here is this man, this Jesus, who is saying, you honor me and you honor the Father. You know, in in their minds, perhaps they're remembering things like, like Isaiah 42. I am Yahweh, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God doesn't share his glory. God doesn't share his honor or his praise. It is for him and him alone. And here stands Jesus saying, honor me as God, and if you don't, You don't honor God. This is the chief purpose of man. This is what we were created for and what we were designed for in in all things from beginning to end. Our chief purpose, our greatest glory is to glorify God. That is our purpose. And we do that best when we bring glory to Jesus Christ. Jesus has authority to do the works of the Father. He has the authority to exercise sovereign power. He has the authority to judge people. And finally, he has the authority to deliver people. Our final verse, which we've referenced a number of times already in verse 24. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He has the authority to judge people, but he also has the authority to deliver people. And he delivers how we are saved. So what this means, and what all of this means, is that Jesus has the power over your destiny. We like to think we have control over our destiny, but but we don't have control over our destiny, and and, and we can't change how things work in the end, and it's not up to some some faceless uh, uh, fate of some variety. Here, Jesus is telling us how to change your destiny. Because he is the one who is in control of your destiny. What takes us out of death, what takes us out of condemnation and out from under God's wrath and brings us to a place of life and blessing and joy and eternal glory is to hear the words of Jesus. It is to believe Jesus. So see that heareth my words... And believeth on him that sent me. To hear doesn't mean just to, to hear the noises of it, to hear in the New Testament and throughout the Bible, and even as we use it so often, means to take it in, not just listen, not just hear the noises, but to, to take it in. You know, it's, it's like uh, when, when uh, I, I speak to my children, and sometimes I have to, to say to them, Did you hear what I said? Because I'll be speaking to them or giving them instruction, I'll be watching the TV or the iPad or doing something else. Like, yeah, 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 dad, whatever. Yeah, dad, dad. And, and then it's no. Did you hear what I said? Did you take it in or did it just go in one ear and out the other? So when Jesus says to hear his word... It's not just to listen to it. It's not just to, to have an idea of it. It's to take it in. It's why Paul will say in Romans chapter 10 So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Where does faith, where does belief in Jesus come from? As we listen to what he says in his words, we take it in, listen to it, and believe it. Hearing alone will not save you. You must apply it. You must believe it. You must believe what you hear. And in believing what we hear from Jesus in his, his word here, he delivers from condemnation. It is he that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What is the result of believing Jesus is who he says he is? Everlasting life. Life without condemnation. Life where we are taken from death, from condemnation to life. We've been in church very often. We're familiar with the words of Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is, is death. Death, condemnation by sin... It's in John 3 verse 18 believe on him and the condemnation passes passes from us You see the world turns on who Jesus is and what he has done but it's not just about the world your life turns on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He is inescapable. John. Is relentless. In his presentation of who Jesus is here. Over and over and over again. We're brought to this point. In, in many different illustrations and examples of what Jesus has done in his life. To see that Jesus is the one everything turns on. And we must Decide for him. Every time he reveals more of who Jesus is, he puts us in a place to make a decision, to choose Jesus. Jesus knows exactly who he is and what his mission was and is. He is God, he is God who came to rescue us from the condemnation of our sin. Jesus is the key to life. In every form, Jesus is the key to life. The choice you make about Jesus, whether you choose to believe what he says or whether you choose to reject what he says, the choice you make about Jesus has eternal consequences. Consequences which last well beyond this life, this earth, this existence. Perhaps you've made the choice to believe Jesus. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. As I've mentioned before, the authority of Jesus doesn't end at salvation. Salvation is simply the beginning. And it begins by recognizing that Jesus is Lord. He is master. And that means submitting my life to him. Too often we still fight for control. Fight to do what we want in our own life and choose our own things, and often our choices are made based primarily on how it affects me and not the spiritual impact that it has on my life. Is this honoring Christ or is it honoring myself? What place does Jesus have in your life? As believers, Let's make today, let's make every day, let's make our choices about Jesus. And maybe as you hear this today and as you hear these words of Jesus and and the explanations, maybe you have yet to believe Jesus is Savior. Maybe you've never professed a faith in Jesus Christ or asked him to forgive you of your sins. Having heard what Jesus says of himself, Do you believe he's God? Do you believe his claims are true? Do you believe that he will judge you for your sin? Do you believe that he and only he can save you from that sin? If so, acknowledge to God that you understand That you understand that he is God, that he has the power of life and death. And ask for his forgiveness and seek life in him. And he promises that when you hear his word and you pursue him and seek his forgiveness, he will forgive. If you're hearing this this sermon at a later date and, and you hear the words of Jesus and you want to believe... Please get in contact with us and and let us us know if we can be of help to you or how we can help you understand more about the gospel or direct you to someone near you that can. Let's close today in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great truths that it, it shows to us. Help us, dear God, to hear your word this morning, to take it in and understand that you have all authority in heaven and earth. That you and you alone are the great savior of all. Lord, we pray that we as believers would continue to live our lives in submission to you, to recognize you as the Lord of all. Dear God, for those who don't know you as Savior, we ask that you would open their eyes, that they would see the truth of who you are and follow you in obedience. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you all.